1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. God's holy word. Give your attention to it. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh, Father, we come humbly before your word. What we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us for your Son's sake. Amen. Beloved people of God, tonight we consider a blessed doctrine, in many ways the crown jewel of our faith, really 
the center of the blessedness that Jesus gives to his people because of his work. And how certain is the resurrection of the dead? How certain is the resurrection of the body? Well, here's what I want us to understand tonight. If we have been given the eyes of faith, if God has granted to us the eyes to see the blessedness of our Savior, Jesus Christ, to embrace Him by faith and to embrace all that He has done for us, if God has given us that faith, then the resurrection of the body is as certain as death itself. The resurrection of the body is as certain as death itself for those who have faith. Imagine there's a young child who loves seeds, and she does not yet completely understand or, or even partially understand the process, but she has heard her parents say that, if you, uh, that, that seeds become trees. And she doesn't know anything about putting it in the ground yet, but this fascinates her. And so her parents say, well, let's, let's get a few seeds for her, and then we'll go back and, and, and plant them in the backyard. She has uh, started to collect seeds and, uh, again, doesn't understand they need to be put in the ground. And so when her parents bring her into the backyard and say, okay, this is now what we must do. We must place this seed in the ground. It, all of a sudden, her head starts spinning and this can't be right. This can't be how it will come to be, that you, it disappears and you bury it in the ground and then a tree will come forth. It doesn't make sense. And if you don't know the science behind it, or not familiar at all, seeing it for your own eyes. Indeed, it is kind of a strange idea at first, isn't it? The church in Corinth was struggling with the resurrection of the dead. There were those who did not embrace what Paul had, had taught, and they thought the idea was absurd, that you would place a human body in the ground, and, and later on at some day, an imperishable, an imperishable body would emerge. Now, bodies are not seeds. That's not the argument that Paul is making here. He's not saying that the, the science, the anatomy, the biology of everything behind it is that the body grows itself into be a glorious body. But here is the argument he is making. The God who brings forth the apple tree is the same God who will raise our bodies to be imperishable. That's the key to understanding a lot of what he's saying here in this chapter. The same God is behind both of them. And thus, if we begin to see the world which God has made with, with those kinds of eyes, the eyes of faith, the eyes that see God's sovereignty, the eyes that see God's power, the eyes that see God's creativity in all things, not only will our appreciation for the beauty of this world be opened up, but also our confidence in what God will do in raising the dead. So in this passage, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, teaches uh, and sets out to teach and assure the Corinthians that the resurrection is credible and it's certain. It's a credible truth because of the things that we see all around us, which testify to God's power and his creativity as both creator and sustainer. It is certain because Jesus Christ can do nothing less for those joined to him but bestow eternal life and blessedness upon them. 
So the resurrection is a credible truth because of the God who does it, his power, his creativity. The resurrection is certain because Jesus Christ can do nothing less than that for those who are joined to him because he is the life-giving spirit. Thus, to affirm all that we do affirm in the gospel, which Paul lays out for us in 1 Corinthians 15, he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. To affirm all that is to affirm that nothing less than the resurrection of our bodies will happen as well. So the resurrection then is credible and certain, and as we consider these things, beloved, may God comfort us with these truths. First, the resurrection is a credible truth. It is credible, especially or only perhaps to those who have faith. But for those who have faith, it is a credible and comforting truth. Paul begins by restating this question that has been raised. Uh, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And that's an antagonistic question that, that has been raised apparently by the enemies of those who are affirming the resurrection of the body. So Paul restates it. He turns this question around on them. To say that, yes, this is specifically what will happen. We will lower the bodies into the ground and they will be raised to new life. The people would say, well, this is, this is absurd. But they're not thinking of the body like a seed. They're not understanding that the bodies will be changed. We do not bury, bury a mature apple tree in the ground, but a seed. We do not submerge a bushel of wheat all the way underground, but a seed. And someone may say, well, the body is not a seed, which we just mentioned a couple moments ago, and that is true. The body is not a seed, but Paul is operating here on a deeper level. It's not uh, looking to the intricate scientific points about seeds decomposing and then bringing forth uh, what they do, but rather the theological truth of the one who makes it all happen, the one who raises trees, plants, and the one who will raise the body. Here's a question for us all to consider. Even though we understand something of the science of how a seed becomes an apple tree, for instance, do we believe that it is simply a purely natural process? And in other words, that God is detached from it? Well, no, of course not. We affirm the truth of God's providence. We know that he is active in all things. And we can look even to things that come forth from nature and understand that the work of God is behind them. And what does that also mean? That also means that we must praise God for the things that we see. You successfully uh, nurture a tree into maturity in your yard. And who do you praise for that? Do you praise yourself or do you praise God who gives us these things. Now, when you start thinking about all of uh, these things along these lines, to train yourself to be reminded that it is God who brings forth the beauty of nature, that it is God who makes uh, even the grass to spring out of the ground, when you uh, remind yourself to think along these lines, the, the, the way we see the world changes, doesn't it? That is exactly how, must, how we must think when we are considering this passage, otherwise it will not make sense to us. We will think that Paul is comparing two different things, agriculture and theology. 
a supernatural phenomenon and something that happens naturally. But the common ground is the God who makes it happen. So verse 38 states it plainly. God gives it a body as he has chosen. God is the one who is orchestrating all of these things. So if we see the world in this way, what do we see? If you look around the world and you're thinking, what is it that I have seen that my God creates? What does he make? You see evidence of a God who is powerful enough to create and to recreate. And this is why nature gives us the clue in this passage for seeing that the resurrection is credible. The resurrection is credible. You cannot disbelieve the resurrection on account of the nature of the bodies that we put into the ground. We put perishable bodies into the ground, but something else will emerge. And that may even seem more absurd for the one who hears it. But here is where the article of faith comes before us. And that's what it is. It's, it's an article of faith. We, we don't uh, embrace this truth of the resurrection as some purely rational thing. So when I'm saying it's credible, it's credible for those who have faith, for those who have the eyes to see the power of a God who brings things to life, the creativity of a God who has created everything that we see out of nothing. When we see the world that way, we believe, we must believe that God can raise up a glorious and imperishable body out of the ground, one that has connection to what we now inhabit, and yet it's made new. Can God do this? Is he powerful enough? Do you believe, brothers and sisters, that he is powerful enough and able to do it? Is he not the one who causes the tree to pop out of the ground and make it grow? Even though we think of it and tend to think of it as completely natural in its process when we forget to remind ourselves of who is in charge. That does not negate the fact that God's power is at work in all of us. In Psalm 104, verse 14, it says this, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate. God makes it happen even the most natural things that we see. In order to believe that this is credible, what do we have to do? How do we know that God is capable of creating and recreating? We look at the world. Look at the diversity of creation. Is a dolphin like a horse? Is an octopus like a tiger? God brings forth and creates things with all kinds of differences, and he does so with ease. All the uh, differences, all of the variation in creation is a foreshadowing of the new creation, which we will enter at the last day. So it's, again, not a product of the rational mind. It's an article of faith. And yet, for we who believe it, for we who see the world this way, what happens? We are comforted when we think about the resurrection. We are comforted when we, when we think about the resurrection because we say, our God can do it. Our God can do it. And thus our hearts are established in that truth, that, that we say, yes, God is powerful enough. He is wonderful enough. He is good enough to do these things. Paul then moves on to discuss the idea of glory which gives a, a further 
credibility to this doctrine of the resurrection. Verse 40 says, the glory of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, the glory of the earthly is of another. In, in other words, God's creation doesn't exist just on one level of glory. He doesn't create things with just one kind or one degree of glory. Verse 41, he says, the glory of the heavenly things differs from each other. The sun, the moon, the stars, they each have their own glory. And then verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. In the resurrection, God will put his creative power on display. The power to make all things new. The power to raise something from one degree of glory to another. Do you believe it, brothers and sisters? Once you do believe it, you say that God is powerful enough to raise things to new life. God is powerful enough to create something with one degree of glory and then even to recreate it with another degree of glory. This uh, discussion of glory, what's in the background in Paul's mind? There's There's an allusion here to Psalm 8, isn't there? The Psalm 8 is to look around and to see the world to see all that God has made. And what comes from that is is humility. When I look at your heavens, when I see the glory of the heavenly bodies, the sun and the moon and the stars, thinking that you have set them in place, you ought to take time to look into the sky. Last night, I saw some beautiful purple and pink clouds over here as the sun was setting, just reminded, wow, God is amazing. And and Psalm, Psalm 8, the reminder there is, What is man that you are mindful of him? See the glory of the heavenly bodies. What is man? And then the psalmist says, and yet you have placed him in in a certain position in your creation. You have set him above the animals and, and the beasts of the field. You have crowned him with glory and honor. So his heart is filled with worship. Here's the lesson for us tonight as we consider the resurrection that our hearts ought to be likewise humbled and comforted in the fact that not only has God made us that way to crown us with glory and honor, but believing all that we do about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God cares about us enough to give us a resurrection body, an imperishable body. That the psalmist would say, what is man that you are mindful of him? And that we would say from our hearts of faith, who am I that you would bring me into eternity? Who am I that you would prepare for me an everlasting resurrection body? And so we are filled with awe and wonder that God has the care to give us Such a blessing, echoing from Psalm 8, where the psalmist is humbled when he considers his own existence. When you consider your spiritual lives, when you consider the salvation that God has given to you, if you have the eyes to see by faith and embrace Christ as he's offered to us in the gospel, if you have been given that, then rejoice. Then one other application as as we move on, Remember God's power and his creativity and his love when you face your own mortality or the mortality of those whom you love. When we witness death, when we come face to face with it, when we wrestle with it, 
what wells up inside of us. A sense that we, that this is not right. A sense that there must be something else. A, a, a sense that this cannot be the final word. And that's a good instinct, right? What's going on there is something good. And we must remind ourselves that, yes, this is not the final word. Yes, God has given to us this glorious cardinal doctrine, this fundamental doctrine of our faith. And when we look to Christ and see all that he has done, then we learn to say, yes, God can do it. And my heart is strengthened and encouraged by it. So it's a credible idea. It's, it's credible for those who have faith. And then it is also certain. It's certain. The, re- the resurrection is certain. Why? Because of the reality of Christ. Paul says to his audience here that the resurrection of the dead is as certain as death itself. And if we can come to believe and embrace that, if you, can, if you can look at the realities of life with that kind of firmness of faith, that the resurrection of the body is as certain as death itself, how, how transformative it would be as you face the challenges of this life. At the center of the, the last seven verses here, from verse 42 through to 49, uh, is verse 45 which becomes something of the the cornerstone to understanding this last paragraph. Verse 45 says this, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The word for life-giving shows up there in verse 36. We've already seen it in, uh, in our passage. That's where Paul is discussing the idea of a seed that goes into the ground and God gives it a new body and what sprouts up out of the ground. Christ is life-giving. He has become the the life-giving spirit. In other words, what issues forth from his work must be nothing less than a resurrection body to all those who are united to him. Thus, Paul is saying it is foolish to deny the resurrection of the dead, for he can do nothing less than that. You cannot say that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. He's showing them the absurdity of that. What does our Savior do? He does nothing less than gives the blessing of eternal life and the resurrection to those who are united to him. Verse 45 says that Adam, the first man, was created a living being. What kind of body did Adam have at creation? Well, it was a a natural body, which is to say a a perishable body. This does not mean that Adam's body was bad, but his body was limited. It It belonged to this age and not to the age of eternity. Adam would not have sinned, or sorry, Adam would not have died before he sinned and fell, but the very fact that he was capable of falling, capable of sinning, shows us that he did not belong to the age of eternity. He was able to sin, He was able not to sin. Death, of course, comes front and center after he does fall and brings us into an estate of sin and misery. So all those who are born from generating from Adam and Eve, our first parents, what do we inherit? We inherit perishable bodies, earthly bodies, bodies that are bound to die. But just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
We're familiar with those words. We hear them a lot, but don't miss it. Just as in Adam all die, even so in Christ will all be made alive. In other words, as certain as death is for those who are part of Adam's race, so certain is resurrection life for those who are joined to the Savior. He is a life-giving spirit. Spirit here does not mean that it is not physical. It means that it belongs to the heavenly order. It's a heavenly existence. It's a blessed existence. It's a righteous and a holy and a glorious existence. If there is a natural body, Paul says, there also is a a spiritual body. He builds out his argument from the world which we inhabit in our very bodies. It's impossible for us to have anything but the perishable natural bodies that we have. We never expect that a new child born is going to be of a different order. We just know that as they are born, they are part of this natural order, perishable and fallen. But then it is certain because Christ, our Savior, what is he already already enjoying now? A, A heavenly and a spiritual existence that he has been raised to new life. This is the almost academic but logically tight argument that Paul gives to us to show us that you can affirm nothing less than saying yes the resurrection will happen and the resurrection will come but what is needed to have the joy and the comfort of all of these things how does it comfort you you think of the the words of the catechism how are you comforted by the resurrection of the body how are you comforted by the truth of the life everlasting what do you need faith You need faith. All of this comfort flows forth from faith. If you want to share in the comfort and joy of this passage, you must believe what Christ has done. You must believe that God has the power not only to create, but to raise our bodies anew. You must believe all that Paul says at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Simple affirmations of the gospel. He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised in accordance with the scriptures. If you believe all these things, brothers and sisters, then the question of the resurrection is settled in your heart. To believe in Christ is to affirm the resurrection. It's as simple as that. The guarantee of of certainty that we have now unto this very thing The the, the comfort that we possess issues forth not only from faith, but also from the fact that those who believe in Christ have the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who is given to us now, who begins that life of eternity even now. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, you believed in him, that is, you believed in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In other words, the spirit-filled life is resurrection life. Resurrection life begins even now. What is the, the evidence of the resurrection life that we have? Well, what is the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace. Do you love God? 
Is your love for him abounding in your heart? Do you have a joy in all that he has done, even as you look into the the harsher realities of life? Is there a peace that passes understanding because you know that in all things you can look to the Savior and and rejoice in him? Do you have a, a weakening sin nature? Do you understand and know and sense that your obedience to God is is growing? Your love for him is growing. All of these things are evidence of the resurrection life that is already at work in us now. Patience. Are you patient unto the coming of the Lord and his own calling you home and the restlessness that tends to eat away at us, the anxieties that we have, but are you patient because of Jesus Christ? Evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. Goodness, gentleness, self-control, all of these things. This is the resurrection life that we had have. Love for God, love for the Word, love for His church, love for the ordinances, a love to sit under the teaching of God's holy Word. The Spirit-filled life is, is resurrection life that God gives to us even now. Thus we look to Jesus Christ and we say, this is what he has accomplished. He died for our sins. He was raised. Since I am united to him, my resurrection Life is as certain as death itself. And what do we, how do we live in light of that? Well, as Paul is considering the resurrection in 2 Corinthians, two points that he makes that are sort of applications for us. The first is this, to be of good courage. To be of good courage. We know this passage very well in 2 Corinthians 5. While we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, right? The, the, the cry of our hearts when we are faced with mortality, our own mortality, or those who, whom we love, those who are around us, it's not that we groan because we say, well, if we could just be kind of floaty, nebulous, spiritual beings, it would be so much better, It's that the perishability of our bodies causes us to groan for something more, that we would be clothed with a body that is everlasting and will not decay, will not fade away. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. God prepares us, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. There we see that language again. So, he says, we are always of good courage. Why? Well, if you truly come to believe and embrace this, resurrection life is as certain as death. How can we not be of good courage? How can we not be of good courage in the midst of all that we are facing? So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith not by sight. While we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We are away from our Lord. And thus, even when we leave this life, we have the great joy of our souls being raised into the presence of Christ, awaiting that day when our bodies will be made new. So be of good courage. If you can learn to embrace it in this way, resurrection is as certain as my death. God will give you that good courage. And then secondly, second application, make it our aim, make it your aim to please the Lord. 
Yes, we are of good courage, he says, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Why? Because if your heart is overflowing with all of these virtues and graces and the fruit of the Spirit and a deep sense that I am united to my Savior and he has already won for me all of this blessedness, and our love for him is abounding more and more, and we are growing in grace day by day. We look with the eyes of faith, and we see our Lord high and exalted, high and, and lifted up. Not only are we of good courage, we say we make it our aim to please him, that everything that we do must be in service to our Lord Jesus Christ. We're always of good courage. We make it our aim to please him. And then as Paul says at the end of, of chapter 15, Therefore, right, in light of all of these things, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your, na- your labor is not in vain. Why? Because when you live in light of the resurrection, the one who sees all things, the one who commands us to give unto him and to give him glory in all things is the same one who will raise us anew. That is why in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What you do here in obedience to Christ and for his glory is not in vain because the one who will raise us to new life is the same one who sees all, is the same one uh, before whom we will stand one day. So, beloved, if you believe the gospel, then the resurrection is as certain as your own death. As you look around and you see this world, what do you see evidence of? You see evidence that God is, yes, powerful enough to create and recreate. He has the power, the creativity, the sovereignty to raise our bodies anew one day. We place them in the ground, and yes, we are assured that they will be raised to new life. Just as we have borne the likeness of the man from earth, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. How certain is the resurrection, beloved. If you know Jesus by faith, it is as certain as death. Is it not sweet to live with an an assurance so firm? Is it not transformative to be able to look at death in this way? One day, we will say it triumphantly. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And yet by faith, with the fruit of the Spirit abounding in our hearts with an understanding and a joy in all that Christ has done. By faith, you can say it now. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Because when you look upon Christ with the eyes of faith, your resurrection is just that certain. So may God give us the grace to say it in our hearts even now. Death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you that you are preparing for us a blessedness which no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can fully imagine. And thus may we look to all of these things, but in all of these things may we be comforted to know that not only do we look forward to a blessedness and a body of the resurrection and the eternal order, The true treasure is that we will be with you. We will be with Jesus. 
and that we will be given bodies that allow us to serve you for eternity. So fill our hearts with joy unto all of these things and all these things that we have considered as well. Father, comfort and establish our hearts in the midst of the many trials and challenges that we have. And may you uh, feed us and nourish us tonight with assurances that will give us peace and joy, comfort. Father, be with those who may be struggling with, any, with anything um, that, uh, that relates to these things that we're, we're thinking about tonight. Father, the, the world and life and death and its certainty. Father, comfort us with the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting which comes from Jesus our Savior, the life-giving Spirit. In his name we pray. Amen.